Hey friends, should pastors always be extremely poor or underpaid or just unable to increase their income uh, unless they can get permission of the church? That's what we're talking about today. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 297, Les Hughes and John Sanders and the rise of Entree Pastors. is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins, and I am glad that you've downloaded this episode. It is going to be a great time. I promise you're going to learn at least one thing and maybe a lot of things uh, that will uh, apply to yourself, your walk with God, and where maybe he's taking you. So pay attention. And if you do me a favor, um, go ahead. If you do when you do experience something great in this episode, would you just share that with a friend? If there's somebody you go, that's what we were talking about, or that's what I've been thinking, or whatever it might be, that was my experience. If you're in the Overcast app, you can grab a clip. You can just text that to a friend, share it on social, tag me. I'd love that. And of course, if you're interested in helping keep the show running, you can always go to halfwaytherepodcast.com and get the uh, the Patreon button to support the show financially. We appreciate all of you who do that as well. Okay, let's get into it. Our guest, I was really interested to have this conversation because it's kind of on uh, on in one of my one of my one of my uh, windmills that's going on in the back of my head all the time. So I wanted to talk to these guys. Um, we have two guests today. They're pastors who help pastors and others with a ministry background create a life of financial freedom as entrepreneurs. That sounds powerful. Our guests, uh, our guests are Les Hughes and John Sanders. Hey guys, welcome to Halfway There. Hey Eric, what's up? Hey Eric, thanks for having us, man. We're glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate having you. Okay, so I'm gonna uh, talk to both of you, but you guys kind of you have your own um, your your own business that you started together doing this. So tell us a little bit about that. I don't know who who wants to go first. John, you tell us start. You tell us all about that. Yeah, I'll try and give the short version, and then you feel free to just follow up wherever you want, Eric. But Les and I both have served for many years as pastors, you know, full-time pastors leading churches in different contexts. But uh, we met in the last year and decided, you know, as we got to know each other, kind of found out quickly that we had a lot of the same passions and interests. And we launched a platform called Entree Pastors, where we are really trying to serve pastors in this space of helping them do better financially by not going to their church and asking for a raise or, you know, asking for more offerings, but turning to some kind of skill or passion or interest that God has put inside of them, a, a gift, and use that out in the marketplace in some kind of entrepreneurial effort to, you know, build one or more streams of revenue for their family. So we think it's a good thing when pastors are out in the marketplace. Uh, we, we know there's a lot of ministry that happens out mm -hmm. there, and that's what we do. We help uh, celebrate and create a community and create content around that message of helping pastors achieve financial freedom through entrepreneurship. Yeah. Okay. So that's a really fascinating concept. I've got a ton of questions about it, and we're going to talk Let's about go. that. Les, do you want to add anything to that? 
Well, that's why I let John go first, man, because he's got it dialed in. <laughs> that's good. But yeah, you know, both of us have our own stories, but in the marketplace, a lot of times someone can uh, increase their their income or their or their revenue by uh, performance or by tenure or as the company grows. I mean, what do we base our performance for? We don't want to get more pay for more baptisms or more professions of faith or more people that, you know, come to come to worship or Sunday school. So, um, uh, but in all seriousness, I mean, this is one profession where uh, pastors, leaders, leaders of Christian ministries are multi-skilled. You know, a lot of times they can speak, they can write, they can counsel, they problem solve, they lead, they lead teams and are pretty good at leadership. But there's really the there's an avenue of the local church. But when it comes to really increasing their uh, their their ability to to earn, to to grow, to do more things with their family and for their family as their kids get older and go to college and all the rest of life that happens, there aren't many outlets. And it's it's a shame when a pastor feels like he has to go to a different environment, a different church culture just in order to, you know, get it a better place financially. And so we want to help or, or worse, sometimes they leave not in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And so John and I both want to, we, we have a solution we believe to that and uh, are coming alongside of people in ministry to help them get there. I love that. Yeah. One of the things that bothers me so much about, about the way we do ministry and churches in the United States is just this, like, it, it, there is no place to go or there's a, for one, you mentioned it, all the skills you got to have to be a good pastor, right? Which not, a lot of times are not paid for. And then also just that kind of, it takes, there, there isn't a lot of room for growth or ability, like you're saying, to actually increase your income beyond asking what the church wants. So I hear that. That's really fascinating. You kind of put yourself maybe in a thing and sometimes that breaks relationships, right? I hear you talking about that too. Mm -hmm. And that can be a really difficult thing. So um, I want to hear talk about that, but we always go through the story. So our our uh, halfway there, my goal is really to share the entire spiritual journey. So I want to dig into that. And I know that it'll lead up to where you guys are today. That's that's where I want to be. So uh, I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to start with John. So John, tell me, where, so you're in South Dakota now. Did you grow up there? Is that where you're from? No, actually, I was born in Minnesota and uh born into a pastor's home. My dad was a pastor. When I was about 10 years old, we moved down to Peoria, Illinois. And uh, that's really where I grew up. And it wasn't until 2004 that I moved out here to South Dakota with my then wife and children to then I'm still married. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm, <laughs> I still have that same wife. But I mean, many years later, moved out to South Dakota to plant a church. So um, I've been in and around pastoral ministry my entire life. But here's the thing is with my story, I didn't want to go into pastoral ministry. I loved growing up in it, had a good experience growing up in, in the church and in the in a pastor's home. But I always said for myself, that was not what I was going to do. I had other plans and uh, I ended up going into professional firefighting. I was a career firefighter there in Peoria, Illinois. And then God just messed up all my plans, would not leave me alone about, you know, ministry. I really sensed a calling to preach. I did my best to outrun that calling and, and run away from it. But finally, at a young age of 23, you know, years old, I just surrendered and said, God, I'm not going to spend my life running from this. If you want me in ministry, 
I think this is a colossal mistake, but I'll trust you and I'll follow you to in into that world, whatever that looks like. And it's kind of a long story how we had a connection to this little community uh, where I am today in South Dakota. So we moved up here in 2004, planted a church, and that's kind of my vocational pathway. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of other twists and turns in there, but that's kind of the big story. Well, I want to hear some of the experiences with God along the way there. So yeah. growing up in a pastor's home, what was that like for you? Were, were you the good pastor's kid or the bad pastor's kid? Because you can only be one of the Yes. Other. <laughs> yes, I was both. I, you know, probably more the bad pastor's kid if oh, you had okay. to make me choose one. But, uh, uh, you know, I had a good experience in terms of I saw authenticity uh, modeled in my parents at a young age. I saw that the people they were in church, it was the same as we were at home. Another thing that my dad did for me and for our family that I think was a big gift was he did not allow those expectations to be placed upon us as kids, as pastor's kids, you know, just because our dad was a pastor. He, he always made it clear, we do what we do because we love Jesus and follow Jesus, not because dad's a pastor. Mm. Um, so I think I had a pretty good view of that growing up. I don't feel like there was a lot of performance around, I'm a pastor's kid, and so I need to toe the line and act like a pastor's kid. I think my parents did a pretty good job of introducing me to Jesus and transferring my faith, you know, as a personal faith in Jesus to him versus just, um, you know, faith mm -hmm. in my parents' religion or their creed, so to speak. So, you know, I, I had a pretty typical growing up in the church as far as a, a traditional uh, church kid testimony. Sure. Um, but as a young adult, I really started to take on my faith as my own and really grow in my walk with Jesus. And that's my first probably biggest struggle was around that calling of really coming to the question of, am I going to let God lead my life or am I going to do what I want to do? And I had to answer that question. And uh, man, I, my biggest regret in the whole thing was after I finally surrendered and started going down this road that I really believe God called me to, I thought, why did I resist it? Like his plan is always better. He always writes better mm -hmm. stories with our lives than we would when, if we just take the reins and do it on our own. So it's been an incredible journey with the Lord, but that sense of calling was probably one of my first biggest areas of struggle and resistance. Okay. So I want to hear that story and then we'll, and I'll, I'll come to you less. So tell me that story, John, about how you like, give, give me the nitty gritty about wrestling with God over your calling, wanting to be a firefighter, going yeah. down that road. And then what was it that made you change? Like, did you see a burning bush while you were fighting fires? Maybe, I don't know. Like what, what happened? What was that like? Yeah. So one thing my dad always used to say, and, and I disagreed with this then, and I absolutely disagree with it today. He always used to say that all young men should head for the ministry. And what that meant was all young men should head off a, down a traditional road toward Bible college seminary with the hopes of becoming a pastor. And if God doesn't want you there, he'll close the door. Well, I think maybe one of the reasons I resisted that so heavily, even uh -huh. though I still think it's bad advice today, is I knew God wasn't going to shut the door. I knew from a young age, I sensed that I think God could probably use me in that capacity or would, you know, I just, I kind of knew. And so that I hated that statement because I thought, well, God isn't going to shut the door. If I say, here's my life, I'm willing to preach and, you know, lead a church. I knew he would say yes. So I, I resisted that. Um, I didn't really have a burning bush moment other than this. I, if I had to point to one really pivotal part of the story, there was a Sunday many, many years ago that 
all the pastors on staff at our church were going to be gone. It was in the summer. And my dad came to me, I'm a young guy, I'm, you know, 22. I'm a, you know, new firefighter. And he said, Hey, uh, would you mind preaching this Sunday? And I heard myself say yes. And I, everything in me was screaming no, but I heard myself agree to that and uh, was terrified to get up and speak in front of people, absolutely scared to death. And that Sunday I preached and, uh, I had, I had a line of people waiting to say, are you sure you're doing what you're supposed mm -hmm. to be doing? Like that was incredible. They saw something in me and I, that was not what I wanted to hear at that moment. I came away so disappointed from that. Like, <laughs> Oh shoot. I knew what I needed to do. I mean, God was really working in my heart that summer specifically of just bringing me to that point of surrender. And that was a pivotal, a pivotal moment in that where I had a lot of other people recognizing God's hand on my life in that capacity. What broke the dam? Well, I'll tell you. So there is honestly a story. I'll try and make it real quick. Years, a few years prior, I watched a, a young couple from our church go into missionary work. We sent them off as missionaries to Cambodia. And I watched very closely how this worked, how someone gave their life to Jesus and, and surrendered fully to that kind of work. And the day we had a send off for Mike and Michelle, uh, you know, everyone's celebrating. There's kind of a bittersweet, tearful goodbye as we're sending them to Cambodia. And internally, I was like, see, God, that's why I'm not going to give you all of me, because that's what you do to people who surrender. You send them away from hmm. family and home and you make them go do something they don't want to do. So fast forward a couple of years later, my parents had gone on a trip over to Asia to check in on some of our missionaries, including Mike and Michelle. And my day of surrender Eric came when I was sitting in church, watching my parents give a report, having the pictures up on the screen, kind of, you know, giving a report of their, their time over there and uh, checking in with these various missionaries. And I, I noticed something just looking at Mike and Michelle, they'd been gone for a few years now. And I noticed that they seemed happy. And I don't know why that was such a profound thought to me, like, yeah. wow, they're in the center of God's will, doing what he asked them to do. And they seem to be enjoying themselves. And it was that day that I finally told the Lord, if I, I think you want me a ministry, I think I'm scared to death, but I'm, if you want me, I'll go. Mm -hmm. If, if that's what you're asking me to do, I surrender and I'll go. And then that brought such a wave of peace, even though I had now this uncertain future, I knew I would be quitting the fire department. I knew we would be leaving to go somewhere. I didn't know where that somewhere was. I had all kinds of excuses as to why this was not going to work. And, and yet there was a tremendous sense of peace and God just walked beside me through the whole thing, leading me into the story that I've been able to be a part of. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. Those little moments, right. And like, that's not, so like you said, it's not a burning bush, right. But it is, it is a profound moment when the Holy spirit who is everywhere can go, mm -hmm. there you go. Like that's yeah. you get it and you surrender. I love that. Okay. Les, thanks. Uh, thanks for waiting over here. I'm so, I want to hear some of your story. So uh, did, did you grow up in, in Alabama? No, my home is Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville. I love that. Yeah. Louisville, Kentucky. And, and I, uh, my parents were both for all intents and purposes, they were first generation Christians mm. and we, uh, so I had a different Different background in some ways from John's, but in other ways it was healthy because we had a healthy um, church environment around us, and our close friends were, you know, the people that were involved in our in our local church. However, as life um, sometimes happens, um, junk starts to get in the way, sin starts to get in the way, and my parents were actually divorced when I was twelve, 
And so I was raised for a while with a single mom and two other brothers. She uh, remarried rather quickly, and um, there were she married um, someone with addiction issues, especially with alcohol, and uh, who was also abusive. He had uh, four sons, and so there were seven of us, went from three to seven. Wow. And uh, I was 12, and I was the oldest <laughs> of, of all of them. So, um, Did you feel a lot that, of responsibility being the oldest? No, I was just ticked off all the time, Eric. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> just yeah. to be honest, I was. I felt responsibility for for mom in many ways. Mm-hmm. I did, especially when I knew that she was being uh, hurt, you know. So I did feel a lot of weight and responsibility up to the point of even wanting to do something about that. So uh, I did feel a lot of weight with that. Yeah. And I felt responsibilities for my two younger brothers, but I just dealt with a lot of very unhealthy anger. Um, you know, about all the rest of it, just to be honest. Um, but I, you know, the thing about that is, as I was listening to John's story and thinking about some of those pivotal moments for myself, the one thing I can say about all that time is I never felt abandoned by God. Never, mm. not one time. I was already a Christian and I just never felt abandoned by him. And I know now that that's just grace, you know, um, so, um, make, make a little bit longer story short, we ended up going in, and living with, with my dad who, uh, remarried a very, very godly woman. And, uh, she, of all those that I just mentioned, she's the only one that's still with us. Her name is Brenda. She's my second mom and she still lives in Louisville. Wow. And, uh, she, along with dad ended up raising my two brothers and I, the rest of the way, she had a couple of daughters, uh, that are my beloved stepsisters. One is in heaven. And one, one is still with us. Um, so that was my, that was pretty much my, my home life. I, when I look back at all these entrepreneurial ventures, um, my dad sort of modeled that for me. Uh, we had a, yeah, he was a, he was a bivocational pastor, uh, from Mm -hmm. my teen years up. So when I was a little kid, that wasn't true, but from my teenage years up, he was. And, um, but we had a consignment store and he would do, you know, the, the, um, uh, flea markets and, and, uh, you know, all that sort of, uh, side had always had a side hustle going on. You know, my, my dad did. And, uh, he's also, like I said, a vocational pastor and he taught in a vocational school there in Louisville as well. And so, um, you know, I, I, I was always looking for ways to either, either cut yards or do some chores here and there, wash cars or something myself. Um, so when I, when I was growing, went off to school, I actually ended up getting in the retail grocery business. So I was a store manager for several years when I was an early adult and got married myself. So my wife did not marry a pastor. She married a, oh. a grocery store manager. Does that cause any problems? Um, Cause sometimes that could be an no, issue. Not okay. a, no, not at all. Not at all. My, my brother who is a pat, my, my brother-in-law, my wife's brother, who is a pastor and a close friend in a group of people. One time we were talking about our calling and, uh, He's looked at me and he said, well, the Holy Spirit called me. Hughes was called by my sister. So no, she didn't fight it at all. He said that tongue in cheek, of Mm -hmm. course, but she was in many ways thrilled uh, when the Lord did call us into the local ministry of a church because she was uh, raised in a pastor's home as well. And uh, she had a sense of calling herself that frankly, she would be doing that with or without me speaking to ladies groups, teaching and writing and that sort of thing. So, um, uh, but I, um, had a couple of those, you know, pivotal moments that yeah. John, John mentioned as well, where I, 
surrendered to that strong sense of calling that the Lord wanted me to serve the local church in that way. And then he began to open up doors when that happened uh, until I was leading the local church. Yeah. I'm interested. So as a, as a kid, did you have a moment like, so it sounds like it's kind of tumultuous there for a while. And then you went to live with your dad and did you have a moment when you gave your life to Christ or was it like, just, this is what we, what we no, do? I did. Um, my dad led me to the Lord when I was six. Mm, okay. Yeah. I began to, and it, and at first, like maybe like a lot of kids who was, who was raised in the church, especially back in the mid sixties, you know, um, there was no question, man, my, my pastor preached about heaven and hell and I knew where I didn't want to go. Yeah. And so as I, and my dad certainly sensed that he had a lot of discernment, but I was just asking him, you know, I, how, how do you become a, a Christian? I was under enough teaching, you know, that I, that I knew there was something you, you weren't just born in, you know, into that. And then that's also about six or seven. If, if a, if a kid is really raised with that kind of input or that kind of instruction, that's about the time that we start understanding what's right and what's wrong. And, having sense of senses of guilt or conviction mm -hmm. in a healthy way. So I just began to ask my dad about that. I was, uh, I was, I was dealing with what it meant to have a sinful heart. I just didn't know that's why I felt the way that I did. And so yeah. he very wisely just walked me through that. And then, um, yeah, I was saved when I was six. Okay. So how would you say that you, uh, learned kind of the, the ways of Jesus and you like, you, you described a little bit just briefly of, you know, going into, into ministry yourself, but how, how'd that, how'd that take place for you? What are some of those moments? I'll mention, well, I mentioned two that were uh, real turning points like hinges, you yeah. know, but, but a lot of it's just the progression of, you know, what happens with life. I mean, I did, at some point when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old, I started realizing, you know, the, the feelings that I was having, especially of, of anger and um, having, having um, feelings about, about people and, and relationships that I just didn't feel like were, were healthy, you know, uh, and I started to understand at that point, you know, 15, 16, 17, as a 12 year old child, I told, I was telling myself stories about, you know, my parents divorce and our life situation just after that, I was telling myself things that just weren't true. They were, they mm. were true in my mind, but as I matured and grew out of that, I realized they weren't. God also put a, a real strategic person in my life who was mm. uh, our student pastor at the time. Now he's a, a colleague and a friend still that saw, he was so perceptive to, to see what was going on and see what I was going through and, and loving enough to invest in me without making me feel like I was a project. You know what I mean? Yes. I, I, I never felt that way. I just felt like I was a, somebody that he valued and somebody that mm. he loved and he and his wife both because they did. And he was just a real, uh, a mentor of mine. And he made certain that a way was made that I could go to, to camps. If maybe, you know, we couldn't afford that or yeah. be a part of things that where he knew I was really going to grow and to my parents' credit, my we were at a fairly large church in Louisville with a real thriving student ministry. And when my dad went into bivocational ministry, he pastored a real small rural church. And and they allowed us, in fact, encouraged us to stay apart, my brothers and I, to stay a part of that larger ministry because they knew that that was a healthy environment that their teenage sons needed to be in. 
So that was a big part of that. And we went on a, on a, on a trip. It was a mission trip out, out West. It was in Utah. And we stayed at this, you know, KOA campground. And <laughs> yeah. I can remember during one of those times, one of our quiet times in pitch black, dark at night, going out by a big boulder, I had my Bible with me and I, it was a real clear night and there were just stars everywhere. I'd never been in big sky country before, yeah. you know, stars everywhere. And I just remember saying to God that I will go wherever you want me to go and I'll do whatever you want me to do and kind of nailing it down. I was a senior in high school and I, I nailed it down then. And those doors didn't open up till a few years later. But if I look back at a time where, yeah. where there a moment, that was the moment. Wow. Okay. So I hear so many things that I, I love to hear because those people like your youth pastor who was just really invested in you, like so pivotal and so important, right? Friends, I, I've got people who, you know, I can look back at my church. They were just faith. They were faithful lay people who just wanted to serve and teach the Bible and help us. And, and I just, like, I just think of the, the world of them. They make, you make such a big difference when you do that friend. So if that's something you can do, do it. Um, and then also just those, those little moments of surrender for you of, of okay. Or maybe, maybe they're big moments. And then God takes them and says, okay, let's do this. And then you're like, oh, okay. All right. And they, they, they bloom years later uh, after the seeds have been planted. A couple other things. And so you're both pastor kids and the entrepreneurial kind of thing, right? Coming out, come, you know, and that, that example, very interesting. Okay. So I want to hear a little bit about kind of ministry and some of your experiences in that. So John, what, what, like, tell, tell me about your kind of years of being a, a pastor and what your, how that's impacted you kind of as your, particularly your walk with the Lord, your experience of God in it. Yeah. So by the way, I had some of those moments of surrender too, where I told God, anything you want, I'm here. I, I wrote those checks. I just kind of hope secretly that God wasn't <laughs> going to cash them. You know, <laughs> So he came calling and, and cashed that check. But uh, yeah. So as I went into ministry, uh, we moved to a small town in South Dakota, um, planted a church and had, I was 25 years old when we got here and got started. And my, my spiritual upbringing, my looking back now, what I realize is that I, I was brought up in a pretty legalistic system. Um, I didn't know it at the time until when in my early years and in, in my faith, as I started to really mm -hmm. explore the grace of God, I realized, man, in so many ways, I've been I was brought up in a performance-based Christianity that, you know, I got to keep working. It's about me, you know, not, not necessarily for my salvation, but just to keep God happy with me, to keep him pleased with me, I need to perform. And so early in my years as a pastor, I, I really had a, a breakthrough of freedom, you know, spiritual freedom, where I realized God is proud of me because I'm his son. And any goodness that I have comes from the work that he did on my behalf, not what I've done. And so that that really was a big part of our message as a church, as we were planting a church, we were reaching people who were either far from God, did not know Christ, or maybe were another big part of our makeup here in, in rural South Dakota, people brought up in a religious system, um, but but not really knowing who Jesus is. So as we were planting our church and growing it was a lot of years of just introducing either non-Christians or baby Christians to Jesus and, and watching them grow. So it was really a cool thing to get to walk beside people in that transformational process and 
to see, you know, not only God do that work in my own life, but then to share that with others. Um, our church grew like in that process. Um, and, and by the way, I thought it was going to be impossible, like what to, to move to a small town, plant a church, be, have it become self-supporting and, and support my family's salary to get a building. Like all of this just seemed impossible. And within a short period of time, we did all of those things. Like within five years, we were a fairly established church that was paying my salary. It wasn't a huge salary, mind you, but, you know, full-time supporting us. And um, we had moved into a building. And so then I really started to ask God to show me the next, you know, what's next. And that's when he really had shown me the need for the gospel in rural communities. And so through that, mm. those first few years of being on the ground here in South Dakota, God broke my heart for small town, rural America. And what I had wrongly assumed was a very, you know, Christian, uh, environment, yep. what I came to realize is no, there's actually what I've come to call a demonic spirit of religion that plagues so much of rural America. And so God started to show me a vision to take our church into other rural communities. Uh, at the time, I had never heard the word multi-site. I didn't know that was even a thing churches were doing, you know, launching campuses of their church in other locations. But if you fast forward the story, that's what happened with us. We eventually uh, multiplied into six different communities and just had a real fun season of growth as a church before I kind of felt like toward the end, my season in that leadership role was coming to an end. So if you fast forward long enough, you'll see my story advance to the part where I'm no longer in the lead pastor role. I'm back in the world of full-time firefighting, but somewhere in there, a part I haven't shared with you yet is I launched a podcast for small town rural church leaders which really started to open the door for a whole new avenue of ministry and eventually business that uh -huh. came as a result of that. So that's a few more pieces to the puzzle there. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to let that be a teaser. And then, so we'll come back, we'll come back to that in just a minute. Last, so what, so how was your experience in ministry and kind of as you seen God, as you, as you went and stepped into it? Across the spectrum, you know, Eric, I started out as a pastor when I was uh, 26. Like I said, I'd been in the grocery business for a few years. That's one, that's one business where you actually can start pretty young as a, you know, as a bag boy or a stalker and then work your way up. And so I was a pretty young store manager. And then um, I had not completed school entirely, my undergraduate work, and but I wanted to do that. So I went into the pastorate. Uh, a, a rural church in Mississippi of about 50 to 60 people. And that's where we started, you know, and um, my, my wife and I had begun a family and we had one child at the time. We, we soon would have another. And for the first few years, especially while we were finishing up the school time, we were in, we were in that setting or one like it. And then um, we moved several years later to uh, the Birmingham area where, man, God put me in a place where it was just the most fun that you could ask for in ministry. We uh, were growing a lot of young families. It was a growing area of the state and um, it ended up being multi-site as well. And uh, just to fast forward some, I just, we, we sensed the calling after about 12 years to uh, move from that setting and uh, things were healthy, things were fine. We just sensed that that season was coming to an end. And so I accepted a church actually in my hometown that I, I uh, knew of. In fact, uh, 
I'd had friends that had served there um, in, in Louisville, Kentucky. It was mm-hmm. a, so we'd gone from about 50 to 60 people there um, in, in early on to 6,000 up there in multi-site settings. So we just and more, more, more urban and, and suburban and just very, very different. And like I said, I grew up in Louisville and I love that city. Mm-hmm. And um, so the time that we were there, ministry side uh, wise had so much fruit to it, but straight up, it was about a three year fight mm. up there. Um, so to fast forward and not getting down into the weeds too much there, we, we ended up uh, leaving there after a few years and God opened up a door back in the Birmingham area. And that's where we are now. Mm, okay. So without, yeah. like, like you said, you don't have to go into all the, all the details, but the key, the thing that I'm most interested in, because this is one of the questions I like to ask the Lord uses the desert, right? Or John of the cross, call it the dark night of the soul. And so did you experience something like that when you were having that kind of difficulty in church? And Oh yeah. Yeah. What, so what was your experience of God in those moments mm-hmm. of those years with God or with me? With God, I want to know how you, what your, what you experienced of with God, like what your yeah. experience with Him was. Well, again, you know, um, the we went through. My family went through adversity during those years when mm-hmm. you know we went through the divorce and then seeing the things that my mom had gone through, and and even uh, you know, Eric, my my mom uh, died in uh, two thousand nine. So she was still a young, a, a pretty young 70-ish, you know, early 70s or so. I'll just tell you now that um, there were, a, there was a lot, in a lot of ways, she never forgave herself mm. for all. Now, you know, God did, and we did, but that probably contributed to her going to a fairly early grave, you know, and at least in my opinion. Yeah. So that though, those were days of adversity. Those were really hard days. And, um, I can remember as a, as a 12 and 13 year old, just to give you an example. Now I should not have felt this way. What I'm getting ready to describe is telling you I did. I was 13. Okay. Yeah. But I can remember mom, uh, having us at the grocery store with her and pulling out that little book of food stamps and feeling shame over that because I knew what that meant, you know, and anyone that's on any kind of an assistance should feel no shame whatsoever, but I'm just telling you, I did. All right. As a 13 year old. Yeah. So those were, those were really times of adversity. So when I say that I went through a, a, a three year, what I call a fight now, it probably was, it was more, it's probably more like a, a one year fight and mm. two years of two years of challenges, you know, but basically it was just, just differences of opinion in, in leadership about the direction of the church decisions that were being made. That was also just a, since then, you know, from about, from about 08 or 09, when the housing market went down, the economy tanked for a little while up until now that just raised a lot of, cons- a lot of, um, uh, there, there was there's a lot of leadership challenges now that pastors go through that they went through in a different way 20 years ago. Yeah, they they just they just did, and and it was we were getting there anyway, but some kind of crisis such as the um, the uh, the whole you know the the coronavirus crisis and all that 
that just expedites yep. trends that are going on already, which is what happened. So my, my time up there and those challenges was way before all of that. So I want to be careful when I talk about those times in that way, Eric, because totally. look, I, you know, I, I was, I know there are friends of mine that have it way, way worse. I'm just telling you for, for me, that was a diff, completely different environment than what I had been used to, you know, for 20, 25 years or so. Yeah. That did, answer your question. Yeah. Did you feel and like God I, wasn't I, there? I, no, I never felt that way. Mm, that's good. I never felt that way. As a matter of fact, um, I mean, there was some growing that took place in there. Now there were some days that I shouted at him, yeah. you know, and, and asked a lot of questions and I shed a lot of tears. Uh, I wouldn't want to go through it again. Uh, one of the things that happened that, that affected all of that time was I had a major heart attack in 2013. So I had been there a year and, uh, and had a heart attack and it was a hundred percent blockage of that main oh, no. artery. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was, it was touch and go for a bit, but again, I never sensed that he had abandoned me mm. in the ambulance ride. We talked, I prayed, I felt like that could be it, but never really felt like it was, um, you know, I, I, but, but as far as understanding all of that, Eric and doing well and dealing with it in a healthy way, man, I did not, I'm yeah. just telling you, there were a lot of days that I didn't. What'd you learn? So like what, so one of the things that God does in those moments is he takes things, he takes identities away from us that we, that we think we have to do, or that we think we've been given or we adopted. And he gives us new identities or tells us new things about who we are. Did you have, what, what would you? There were some, there were some positive things I learned and there were some negative things that I learned. Um, I learned that, you know, I learned to be a friend. And what I mean by that is when I, when I have people that I know, men that I know go through something like that, I do my best to get in touch with them right away and just talk, see how they are. Um, before, before I might've thought, uh, if they need anything, they know I'm here, they can reach out or I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to, I don't want to mess with, they got plenty going on. They don't need me, you know, mm. um, calling them and messing with them too. That's not true. They do need you to call. And so the, on the positive side of that, I really learned how to, uh, how to empathize with other people by nature. I'm not wired that way. My wife is very empathetic and sympathetic. I'm more of a task, get it done kind of guy. And there's, there's the end zone and we're going there and we'll plow through whoever we need to, to get there by nature. Um, I'm not as much like that anymore, Eric. Yeah. And I, I take more time to, to smell the roses than I used to. I understand now more that life is a, is more about the journey than it is reaching the destination or hitting the goal before all those days. I, I couldn't say that, but I can say that now. Yeah. That seems pretty significant. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Uh, okay. Thank you for sharing that. I want to, John, yeah. uh, I want to go to you and do, have you had a dark night of the soul or a season when you felt like God was far away or Distant. No, I've I've made it through life with no Never. dark Good nights work. of the soul. Absolutely, man. <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> I'm way too young for those dark nights you speak of. No, seriously, man. I have had those <laughs> moments where I, intellectually and in, in my truest faith, I know God has not abandoned me and he's not uh, turned his back right. on me. And yet I've had those times that have felt like God is very distant, that he's not listening to my prayers. Um, I... 
I heard it said one time at a conference, I wrote this down in, in my notes that the teacher is always silent during the test. And that all sounds great, right? Like, oh, wow, we all had a great revelation with that. But it's like, but what if you don't even know what the test is? Like, God, would you at least tell me what the subject is so I can know what I'm being tested on? And I've had those moments, especially toward the end of my pastoral ministry, where for a while, it just felt like everything was moving up and to the right. And mm-hmm. I'll say this too. Um, you mentioned the word identity a minute ago, which is so good, because one thing I think that happens in ministry, maybe this happens in other professions as well, but certainly in pastoral ministry, there is a danger of letting the, the, it become this all-consuming identity. And at first, it's a good thing. Well, it feels good because it's like, man, I'm working for the Lord. I'm helping build God's kingdom. I'm seeing lives changed. But if we're not careful, that becomes this all-consuming thing that when I'm, if you take that away, who am I? Like, what am I? Who am I if I'm not a pastor? And if, if I don't have that title and all of that. So I know on some level, something God brought me back to again and again in my pastoral journey was pride. You know, like I didn't, I didn't struggle with embezzling money from the church. I I didn't have a drug addiction. Like those weren't areas of, of weakness that the enemy hit me. But where I found a lot of continued repentance with the Lord was pride. And it was this tension of doing what I was called to do for the right reason with the right heart versus doing it to build my own kingdom and my own name and my own reputation. And there were times along the way where God would point that out to me like, hey, who's this for? Who's this about? Um, and yet, in spite of all of it, God blessed and and just everything seemed to work for a long time until it didn't. And then I went through a season of pastoral leadership where it, 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 I started to come to the conclusion that God doesn't seem to have the same priorities for our church that I have. Like I'm praying about buildings and budgets and, you know, mm. staff and these things. And it's like, God, you must not care about this because you, you are very silent about it. You're even not directly not answering what I'm asking. And I recognize in those moments, I fully recognize God, you are God. I'm not, I understand that. I I know, you know, who you are and who I am. So you don't owe me anything, but man, it just feels like you're not listening right now. It feels like you're not responding. And that that's a very dark place to be in as a pastor. When you feel like, and I would tell God at times, I feel like you've led me out to the end of this branch. And now you just are leaving me out here. Now, again, I know that's not the case, but I felt that way at times in pastoral ministry. So yeah, I've absolutely had those dark nights of the soul. Yeah. I can relate to that. God's people often feel those. I think we have, I think scripture is, is a testament to, I don't know, let's say 4,000 years at least of uh, of God's people wondering where the heck he is or what he's, what he's doing, um, which is interesting. Uh, okay. So that's all just, I think, really uh, really fascinating your experiences in ministry and kind of with the Lord. Um, so take, take me into then how you began to come together with Andre pastors and like figure out like, how'd you meet each other? How'd you decide this is something that actually not only needs to be done, but it's something I think God is doing and something that we are the, we're going to go do this now. Yeah, well, Les and I met in a mastermind that we are both members of. That's where we connected and kind of got to know each other's stories and and realized we have a very similar interest. I'll just share, answer that from my perspective, and Les can weigh in if he wants. But for me, I came to this place of just rejecting what I've come to call the, the narrative of the starving pastor, 
we've all heard about the starving artist, you know, this person who's just in the art for its purity, and they would never dream of selling their art because it somehow cheapens it. Well, in the church world, I, I would contend that we, we as God's people, both pastors and parishioners, if you if if you will, have come to just be very comfortable with this idea that pastors don't get paid very well. We're all good with that. Nobody's really upset about the fact that pastors have been called to a life of just above poverty level. Now, we we all also can point to the kind of the gross exceptions to that, right? There's there's certainly that flavor in the Christian camp that we can see people flying around the world on private jets and living in extreme luxury, and we all gag on that, or at least yeah. most of Christianity gags on that, but that's not where most pastors are living. I would say even medium examples where pastors are paid very well, or like the lead guys paid really well, but there's other people working in the church for pennies and they can't. Like that, that's not okay either, in my in my opinion. But right, and the bottom line is, I guess that's where where I have come to realize, like the church, the, there's the, the church is a terrible business model, and I don't <laughs> think God's upset about that. I don't know that He ever called the church to be this super profitable thing. I'm not upset if people get their primary vocational you know wage through the church. I just have come to realize, having grown up in it and having led in it myself, and now having coached many pastors it's, there's just a lot of problems around that, that if we can free some pastors up to go do some things in the marketplace, we can alleviate a lot of struggle for both the pastors and the church. If we can look at it a little differently and go, well, what if it wasn't necessarily just supposed to be this career thing where their sole only source of income comes through the church? So that's my story. That's kind of where I came to realize, like, because for me, I struggled through that. There was a season where I felt like God was inviting me back into full-time firefighting, which I am doing to this day, by the way. So there was a season where I was a lead pastor of this growing church, full-time firefighter. But man, the mental baggage I had to work through to, to give myself permission to have two incomes, to have two jobs, um, and then let alone a few years later to launch a business where now I'm coaching people and, and being profitable in that so I know what I had to work through to to give myself that permission and blessing to to live that way, and a lot of pastors won't fight through that, and that's where we, at least for, from my standpoint, I want to help free them up to do exactly that. I want them to know that there's permission, there's a pathway forward for this, and it's okay, and it's a good thing. Um, so that's that's kind of my story, how you know my part of Entree Pastors came about. Yeah. How about you, Les? You want to chime in on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, my journey with all of this, and especially into the what we're referring to as an entree pastoral entree uh, uh, pastoral world now, is that I began having some doors open up to just expand the reach of a preaching and teaching ministry. So I was in an academic setting for a while at a, at a university. So I had written some, I published a book. And uh, then I had started blogging and then the podcasting was, was growing. And it was all, to me, it was just all about broadening and, and getting the message out to where more people could hear that. Not only people at the local church setting, but as, as media um, opportunities grew and then those gatekeepers started to go away and you could start a YouTube channel or, or a blog post on your own and have a website. As those gatekeepers started to go away, mm -hmm. I just began to expand that message a little, a little more and more. And then when I walked away from that ministry in Louisville, 
you know, I, when I walked away from that, I didn't stop having the heart of a pastor just like that. I wasn't employed by a local church anymore, but I was who I was. And so I, I was still looking for outlets to, to teach. And if the doors opened up to preach or, or to write or minister to people and share the gospel and things of that nature. And those were the platforms to do it with. So I just did it. So we created some, some courses and saw, I started, I thought, Hey, this could actually be some streams of income. It could bless my family in that way. And so that, that happened. And then uh, I just began to see, you know, I, I don't know, this should have maybe occurred to me a long, long time ago, but we had always depended upon that one primary source of income. And in my case, it was it, first, it was the, our grocery company, our retail company, and then it was the church. Mm-hmm. But then when, 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 when those things started to be used as leverage by other people in my life, I thought, man, time out, that ain't right. Right. Yep. <laughs> and, and then it occurred to me, I wanted to blame somebody else, but that was on me. Right. So I don't know. It was Mm -hmm. just, I had this revelation one day that it wasn't anybody else's job to provide for my family. It's my job to provide for my family. And God had done a really good job of, of giving us abundance. I mean, more than we needed. So I just began to look for those different ways to continue that and grow that so that I could serve no matter where God called me to serve or where I felt led, I could go there and not have to worry about a paycheck. Okay. Yep. Because it's again, we're and John and I, I can speak for him in this regard because we've talked about it a lot. We're not, we aren't, we don't have a beef against any place that we've served. They've taken care of us. We knew what we were getting into when we agreed to come, you know, but there again, Family, family grows, needs grow. Uh, the church might not always have the capacity to do right. as much as they as they once did. And now, now that we're in the we're in the season of life where our peers are walking away or being forced out, and some of them are leaving in in very unhealthy ways, we want to help make it possible. Among other things, we want to help it make make it possible where they can they they don't have to rely upon only a committee of, you know, five or six people to determine their livelihood. Yes. Okay. So this, so I'm going to tell you just a little bit of my story and why I'm super fascinated by this because I have, as you talked earlier, less about the, um, about the downturn and how that kind of affected churches, right? Well, I had the distinct privilege of graduating with my master divinity in 2009. Yay. Right. Like that Good was for a you. perfect time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, great. Uh, it, and I worked full time and I went to school full time and I did as much ministry as I could do. I had two small kids at the time and uh, had our third in seminary. So it was like, it wasn't like I couldn't, I didn't have a ton of experience. I had a lot of, you know, experience in the financial world, which I did not love, but I ended up getting stuck there because nobody was hiring particularly people like me. Right. But I found, but I discovered sort of what I'm now, what we're now calling web 2.0 blogging and then eventually podcasting and how that worked. And so, and how valuable it is to be able to just get around the gatekeepers that you mentioned earlier, right? I don't have to, I can start a podcast. And so when I wanted to start and uh, share about the spiritual journey, because I still had something to say and contribute about that, uh, you know, I wanted to say to, I said to you guys earlier, the journey when I was a kid was my life was terrible. Then I met Jesus. Now my life is great, but there's so much more to it. 
this is what we what we get to share that I don't think was getting shared but before. So I love that. So I'm a huge believer in building um in platform building as it as it were. It's not a great term, maybe, uh, but building your online presence and serving other people in a way that actually makes and generates an income. And even like I've gone so far as to my business is serving Christian podcasters because I believe the gospel goes out in the 21st century through new media, right? Podcasting, blogging, video, whatever it might be. And so I want to serve them. Um, that, uh, having said all that, uh, it's a lot of churches can't really support that, right? Or they can't really, they can't really empower people that way. So tell, tell me how, uh, that, that, so that's some of my story and why I'm like, I'm super passionate about this. I'm curious about your perspective, uh, on it from a pastor's perspective. Like I've long thought that as a pastor, you creating so much content, we ask pastors, by the way, to create way too much content, I think and on, a, on a weekly basis, that's also not okay with me, but different story. Um, so how, like, so address that from a pastor's perspective and you know, what you're, what you're encouraging pastors to do. Well, that's one of the things, one of the many benefits that I love about this, because the average pastor would tell you that they're already overworked and they have too much going on because part of the model of what we've created the church to be in, in our culture has really put way too much emphasis on the shoulders of one paid professional or maybe a yes. small handful yes. of paid professionals when I don't think it was really ever intended to be that way. Again, I, we can make a biblical case for paying some of the people that are teaching and feeding the flock. Like I'm not mad at pastors who get a, a salary from the church, but the church as a whole has dumped so much expectation on that role and essentially said to the pastor, Hey, you are our full-time hired hand. You do the work of the ministry. We'll show up to watch you, you know, and consume what you've produced, but you're the primary ministry care provider when that is not at all what scripture lays out. Scripture says that the leaders in the church are the equippers of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Right. So what I love about a pastor freeing themselves up to be out in the marketplace, it forces the issue of them to delegate, to, to hand ministry off to the gifted people in their church who've already been given the spiritual gifting to do that ministry, which probably the pastor doesn't have as much as they do anyway. You know, like, so here, you're gifted in this area. You take this part of the ministry. That's giving me margin to go do some other things in the world where, and by the way, I would contend a pastor in the marketplace is just as valid ministry as when they're mm -hmm. behind the pulpit that it's not a it's not like hey i'm going to go do this secular worldly thing now and go make money over here it's no i'm still doing ministry i'm just doing it in this capacity over here that also brings you know revenue into my family that then i don't have to turn to the church and you know ask them for so for me i i love that part of of pastors being out in the marketplace is it actually does something very healthy not just for them but for the church as well yeah Absolutely. I believe that. Okay. So the other thing I wanted to ask, do you give, so what advice do you give to pastors? Because one thing I did in, in particular is I did not want to have a 501c3, right? So like I wanted to have an LLC. I want what I'm producing to be so valuable that's worth paying for. Like I, I know that you can pay a, a 501c3, but I didn't want to take donations. I wanted you to be like, you're going to buy my services or my content or whatever it is. Um, I don't know. Do, Lest you have a reaction to that? 
Yeah, I can't imagine John or I ever advising anybody to start a 501c3. <laughs> like we we began right out of the gates. He and I both, before we met one another, have our own personal LLCs that that our ministry is under. So it's for profit. Uh, and in the same way, we uh, developed our LLC together almost from day one. Like that's the decision we made very early. There's a, there are a lot of reasons for that. So uh, we we don't claim to you know be uh, be uh, financial advisors in any way. That's just what we did. But that goes after that. There's a lot of people that we have these conversations with, and actually we know we know people that are now changing what what has been 501c3s for them and successful ones now to LLCs or some other kind of corporation for those very same reasons, because you can still do what you want to do. You can still do some very philanthropic kingdom minded kingdom focused things. I would think, I think that personally for, for, for John and I, we can do it in a, in a better way for what we're trying to do the way we've got this set up. So he, John, you're welcome to speak for yourself, yeah, there, but one, that's the decision we made. One thing I'll add to that, Eric, is this. When pastors, again, there maybe is a time and a place for a nonprofit 501c3, but when you trade church life for a nonprofit, you're just jumping into the same exact thing where you've got a board that's over you. Um, and and again, you have a ceiling that's automatically built into your salary. And because you are, you know, sh showing up as a nonprofit, in doing a quote ministry, people automatically have this mindset that, well, since it's ministry, it should be done at low cost or no cost. Um, and, and the minute that you yes. exceed a certain level, people are going to, you're going to have a board and others going, well, you can't make that much money. And in part, I, I do see th their point when you're coming to other people with your handout going, Hey, will you please give donate to, to my ministry? It's a whole different dynamic when you are serving people and charging for the value that you're providing for them there, the ceiling is removed like a pastor. And I'm not suggesting we do this, but I, I felt frustrated for years as a pastor, we had a growing church, new locations were being launched and planted. And yet my salary, they would look at, and, and I felt very fairly compensated, but they would always look at a pastor across town who's a single site church and they haven't grown in years. And I'm like, why am I, why is my salary getting compared to that when like my salary is not put on my performance. And again, I'm not saying we should attach a pastor salary to how many baptisms or, you know, salvation. It's a horrible idea. <laughs> right. But what I like about a pastor having some entrepreneurial uh, place to show up in the world is that we're we're removing that lid and your performance can be directly rewarded financially for the more you serve, the more you sell, the, the, the more you're rewarded financially. And I think that's a good thing. And there are ways, Eric, just as a matter of fact, like when somebody comes to me and says, I want my pastor to be a part of your mastermind or be in your membership or go to your retreat. And I want to, I want to give a gift scholarship them to the, is there a way that I can do that? If they want to do it as a, some kind of a donation, there's a way mm -hmm. for an LLC to partner with a nonprofit yes. to, to arrange something like that. So you can still get it done without having to jump through all of those hoops. And by the way, fall under a whole lot more scrutiny, you know, with right. the IRS and, and and people, if you have that. Yeah. One of my mentors has uh, he recommends having an LLC and a 501 C three. Uh, so you can do some of those things and there's an interplay that you can have, you can have yep. with them, but primarily doing it through the, 
LLC. Anyway, that that's kind of probably more in the weeds uh, tax wise than we than we need to be. But I think it's fascinating, and I think uh, the thing I want to highlight, uh, friends, is the mindset shift. Right? There's a mindset shift there that that we're talking about. Hey, I'm offering value, and I only make money if I'm offering value, and people actually want to buy that versus asking for money, asking for donations. There's absolutely a time and a place for that uh, as well. Okay, so. I'm really fascinated in this. Would you, is this for every pastor? Is this for like, what, what's who, who should be thinking a little more entrepreneurially? Well, it's for what John will um, feel free to weigh in here. That my first response is, is for any pastor who wants their revenue, their income to grow and not live week to week, paycheck to paycheck with all the stress that that brings. So it's not for everybody, but it's for everybody who wants to escape the stressful life of living paycheck to paycheck or being upside down. Yeah. Well said. It's the only thing that would stop a pastor from doing it is that it would be the pastor that says, man, I want no part of that. I don't want to, that sounds draining to me. I don't really care to have another focus. And so we recognize that not everybody's wired to be an entrepreneur. Maybe not everyone has the capacity to keep their eye on a couple different things. So we're not mad if, if a pastor looks at it and says, thanks, no thanks. I'm having fun with my one paycheck coming from the church. That's fine. Um, but I've, I have come to the place as for me in my house, I will never go back to that. And we have so many pastors in our community that would say the same thing. I will never go back to the day of having just one paycheck coming yep. from my church. Yep. It's been said that the average millionaire has seven streams of income, right? And I think we're not only, this is this is probably not just true for uh, pastors as you're discussing, but for uh, everyone, I think in the coming century, we're moving into the gig economy. We're moving into something very different where you don't just have work. My dad worked for one, the city of Des Moines, Iowa for 45 years. And I'm so proud of him because he, he really did a lot of great work. Uh, helping firefighters, actually, we'll tell you about that later. But, uh, but that's not going to be the case for certainly Gen Xers like me, and even you know, and my kids, they're not going to do that. You're going to have more than one hustle, and you're going to need to because you don't want to be dependent on anybody, right? Like we're, I think we're yeah. learning that the Great Resignation. Hey, look, your company, maybe your church, may not have as much loyalty to you as you think they ought to, uh, and so that can be an issue as well. So don't definitely split your uh, split. Don't put your, all your eggs in, in one basket. That's what I'm hearing. That's a, uh, that's a passion of mine too. Cause it makes me upset when we believe that lie. Um, okay. So guys, I, this is really fascinating. Thank you. I've kept you a little bit long already. So I appreciate you doing that. Uh, is there anything you want to leave us with? Well, we would just invite people, if they're curious, to learn more about what we're doing. Uh, if you go to entrepastors.com, you'll see our website there. We've got a podcast. We also have a free get started guide for anybody that's like, man, this sounds intriguing, but I have no idea where I would even start or what, you know, what kind of direction I would take for a side hustle. If you go to entrepastors.com forward slash start, We've got a free downloadable get started guide we'd love to share with anyone that's interested. So anything we can do to serve your audience or serve your community, we'd be happy for them to reach out and connect with us. That's perfect. Thanks a lot, guys, for being here. John and Les, I appreciate both of you. Thanks for sharing some of your story. Again, guys, entrepastors.com slash start. And of course, I'll have that linked up at halfwaytherepodcast.com. Thanks a lot, guys. 
Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric.